calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey! Yeah, we are back at it uh, for this week's show. We're here to talk about everything going on in the world of geekdom. We're going to get into some trailers. We're going to talk some DC news, some Marvel news, uh, and get into some Star Trek news as well. So there's a lot happening there. For all you geeks and nerds uh, out there in the world. But let's introduce ourselves. I'm the outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our current work right now every weekend on YouTube with Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City Season 3. You can also see the fall special executive produced by Mr. Michael Vogel, Strawberry Shortcake, The Beast of Barry Bog on Netflix right now. That's right. Good little hollow. Just time for Halloween. Y'all can enjoy it with your children for sure in between some candy um uh but uh today as i said uh, for those of you who don't know uh, how we do the show each of us talks about one geek news item and then we take a big break and then jump into our big uh item and our big item of course is breaking down the marvel tv story that broke uh, from boris kid on the hollywood reporter a lot to dive into and discuss on that one but uh, i kick off things here uh with the story that uh, dropped about uh, aquaman 2 as if it couldn't get any soggier or messier with Aquaman 2, we got ourselves uh, an article that came out here on, in Variety talking about um, these, this information, these notes that Johnny Depp's fans were able to legally get and pay for from a session with Amber Heard and her therapist. And she talked about the fact that she thought that uh, uh, Jason Momoa came drunk to work, that he dressed like Johnny Depp on purpose, said that Walter said that James Wan was mean to her and told her not to take any selfies or talk about stuff. And she revealed that two of her scenes were cut from the movie, one where she's fighting Black Manta and one where she has more time 
with Momoa. From all reports, it sounds like she's going to be barely in the movie as it is. But another part of the of this article also mentioned that Gal Gadot and Ezra Miller and Momoa are most likely done uh, playing these characters, and that's pretty much the end from the of the Snyderverse. And that um, we're going to get Momoa possibly popping up as Lobo as soon as Superman Legacy is something that was in the article as well. But remember, a few a few weeks back, Gal Gadot was saying they were working on a Wonder Woman three that was going to happen. And uh, David Zazov was telling us that Ezra Miller was going to be in the greatest superhero ever made, movie ever made, and now that has gone the way of the dodo. So, gentlemen and Mikey, I go to you first. Your thoughts on this situation here? It is a quagmire, to say the least, and why the fuck are they releasing this movie? This is like when you... <laughs> this is like when you have that group at school you went to high school with and you actually hate that group. <laughs> and you're like, I don't want anything to do with this group. But then at a certain point, the group becomes so toxic that you just sit there over watching them. And you're like, well, now I almost feel bad. I just feel bad for them now. I don't even I can't even hate them anymore. I just feel bad. That's kind of what the like this is. It's just, oh, man, the James Gunn universe can't get here fast enough because this is just almost just hard to watch at this point. It's such a mess like this article for this article is ridiculous, but. This is one of those articles that you sort of read through it and you're trying to like think about Amber Heard and you're trying to think about what's real and what's not real and what people mm. are saying. Like, do I think that Jason Momoa showed up on set dressed as Johnny Depp to fuck with Amber Heard? No. <laughs> I think dude wore a flowy shirt because dude likes flowy shirts and she what? kind of went, eh, you're, you're sticking it to me. Like, that's what I think happened. <laughs> I wear these bracelets every day. What are you talking about? Yeah, I exactly. mean, Jason Momoa dresses like a pirate. Like, that's yes. just what it is. 100%. Like, I don't think he's doing it to fuck with her. Uh, do I think Jason Momoa drank on set? Yeah. Like, when they respond, when the response is, Jason Momoa is very responsible. Sure, he has a beer sometimes, but who doesn't? Yeah, that's kind of what you say about your dad who drinks too much. Like, so probably, <laughs> probably maybe he was drinking on set. I don't know. Um, but yeah, and then, and then like James Wan was mean to me because he told me not to take selfies. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, now I'm, I'm sure she did get some scenes cut. Yeah. I don't know how much her scenes were cut because of Johnny Depp drama and how much her scenes were cut because she's not that good in the movie. Like she yeah. wasn't that good in Aquaman. Like, yeah, I mean, and also, you know, it kind of came out like there was a lot of talk about her and Momoa's chemistry. Mm -hmm. And I think her reps came out and said, that's ridiculous. They took a chemistry test. Right. Yes. Everyone does a chemistry test. That's how you do casting. It doesn't change the fact that anybody with two eyes could watch the Aquaman movie and be like, look, they don't have chemistry like mm -hmm. that. Like it just, it wasn't there on screen. So that's all. All of that is just like, at this point, I just feel bad for Aquaman 2. Like, I, I genuinely do feel bad for, like, all the people that work to make Aquaman 2 happen and James Wan and everybody else. Because at this point, it's just like, nobody is going into this like, all right, guys. I mean, Mike Kalinowski is excited about it. So we got, <laughs> they, got that, they got that going for them. But everyone else at this point is just kind of like, all right, let's just get through this and get to the good stuff. I do think mm -hmm. that... The chances of Jason Momoa being Lobo are higher now than they were before. Yes. Like if Aquaman is in the new DC universe and he's playing Lobo, I don't know what sort of they were separated at birth storyline they would be trying to pull. But if Momoa and everybody is out and they are just not a part of this universe anymore, and that's the reason that Momoa came out of DC 
and Warner Brothers cheering yeah. on his social media was because they were like, listen, Aquaman has sunk, <laughs> but we got an idea. All right, cool. Like that could be a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at this point, and even like just the tone of the article when it came out, it was like, look, Shazam 2 sucked. Blue yeah. Beetle bombed. Flash was a disaster. And here comes Aquaman 2. It's just like, it, it is like, it is the movie. It's the cinematic universe version of womp womp. <laughs> Shannon, your thoughts on this, man. You're the Aquaman fan of, of the three of us. You're the <laughs> biggest Aquaman fan on set here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, as to these these were notes that her therapist took. So these are things that Amber Heard was saying in a right. in a session. Um, you know, you are getting a very <laughs> you're getting one person's take on these things. Right. And it doesn't you know, you don't have to search that deep into Google to find Jason Momoa's wardrobe of choice <laughs> is 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 it eclectic? Yes. Is it is it similar to what Johnny Depp? Uh, war and pirates of the caribbean yeah <laughs> uh, so it's one of those things like okay yeah th th maybe that is how you took it that you 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 took it that he was he was sticking it to you because he he was wearing a flowy pirate shirt yeah. the, the whole thing about you know he likes to he likes to have a beer when you are the star and the ep of a movie if you have a drink on set more than likely, most people aren't going to say anything to you. Right. Of course. Probably not. Um, is that something you should do as a working professional? Probably not. But again, when you are the star in an EP, that's something that that will happen. Maybe um, he was method acting. Yeah, what? There you go. <laughs> he was digging deep. Um, as to her <laughs> scenes getting cut, I mean, look, chemistry tests don't necessarily mean like... You do a chemistry test to see if these two people do they look good together on screen? Do they do they react together well together on screen? Yeah, but you know what a chemistry test isn't is a two hour movie. I mean, mm. it's it it is it is a scene or scenes and be like, okay, we think this is going to work, and sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes things just don't turn out that well, and that is the case. I mean, I know watching the trailers for the first Aquaman. Amber Heard's performance did not give me a lot of confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was not the only thing that I found troubling in those trailers. Um, the the movie itself, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. I mean, a lot of this comedy in the trailers, at least, is kind of landing like a like a lead balloon. Yeah. Um, the movie itself, there was a lot of things that were wrong with that movie, and Amber Heard's performance was one of them. Was it as bad as I had feared? No, but that doesn't mean it was good. So it's not this getting rid of what she had done kind of like okay let's just let's just try to move past this uh taking selfies on set again that's not something that they encourage with with a big movie right. like this so um again she, her being one of the stars you would think that maybe they would give her a little bit of leeway but maybe not yeah um as to the rest of the cast not being a part i mean that's kind of what we had all presumed yeah. That it, it would have taken a, a box office miracle for them to be like, all right, you know what, Ezra, Ezra is Barry, Barry Allen. Like, right. The Flash would have had to have done really, really well for them to have stuck with Ezra. And it didn't. So, again, like knowing that they're keeping John Cena, that they're keeping Viola Davis, um, 
I, I still think that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Think, even though I loved Peacemaker and I think Viola Davis is one of the best actresses working today. I'm like, I, I still think you need a clean break. But the fact that they're going to keep that one kind of Peacemaker corner together and that I, I, I thought I read that James Gunn had said it it's going to be addressed in Peacemaker yeah, season two. Peacemaker season two. Yeah. If Peacemaker season two is the way <laughs> that they kind of feel like, all right, it's, it's the multiverse and it's all being done through Peacemaker. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, I don't not think a- they're, I don't think they're doing a multiverse. No. I think they're just saying Oof. this is the universe and just pay no attention to these few things. Like they're, they're not trying. <laughs> there's no like, Hey guys, the Peacemaker and Viola Davis jumped through this portal. Like they're not doing that. <laughs> um, Jason Momoa being Lobo. And the fact that they haven't really, like, you know, we know Lex Luthor's going to be in the movie, but there's generally another bad guy as well. Um, Jason Momoa being Lobo showing up in Superman Legacy as a possible as a possibility. That does make sense. I mean, all you got to do is look at the comic book and look at Jason Momoa and be like, yeah, maybe you should have done that the first time. Right. And you have Dwayne Johnson offset going, God damn it, I wanted to fight Superman. Um, <laughs> the other two things, and I know we got to wrap up this section of the show real quick, but I want to ask you guys this. The other two things that popped up in the article are that they, and this is written by Tatiana Siegel there in Variety. She mentions that Gunn and Saffron do not have the autonomous approach to DC that Feige has, that this is more running by committee. The the people on the Mac side of things, Casey Bloys, they, they're involved in the decision-making of how this is going forward. And the other thing that really caught my eye is that the article mentions that Warner Brothers could be sold to Universal in two years, and here we go all over again, which would really just kind of explode so many DC uh, fans' heads uh, all over the place. So, uh, Michael, what do you think of this? As someone who's been in these rooms as an executive, this idea that it could be sold in two years, what the hell is going to happen? And the idea that... It's not going to be Gunn and Saffron running this whole thing, even though they are essentially going to be seen as point person. I mean, I can't wait for the inevitable Justice League versus the Fast and the Furious movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah. It's just seeing a bunch of heroes flying towards a bunch of cars. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be wild, guys. Uh, all right. Two things. One, um, Warner Brothers getting sold. To Univers- like, listen, everything's getting sold. To- There's. I, I don't put any stock in this until it gets like real, real. Like this is right, mm. and I'm not saying this isn't real, but I mean it's just as real as like is Iger getting ready to uh, like sell, sell off yeah. parts of Disney and sell it to Apple. Like if if five years from now we have Disney, Universal, and Apple, and everything else is underneath them, I wouldn't say that I'd be shocked. But yeah. I'm also not going to start running around saying the entertainment sky is falling until the sky is falling. It's like, well, okay, maybe let's just see. Um, as far as the other thing, like this is, I mean, this has been one of the issues that DC has always had. And even yeah. though I think um, Gunn and Saffron have a lot more control than others have had prior, yeah. this is the key difference. What Marvel did way back in the day, after they had sold off X-Men and Daredevil and Spider-Man and the Hulk, they were like, hey, we're not going to go to Paramount or Disney or Universal and have them make our movie. We are going to pay for the movie ourselves and have Paramount distribute it. So we are going to pay for it all. And whoever pays for it all gets to do whatever the fuck they want. And so they did that. That was the method that they had. So even when Disney bought Marvel, they kind of came in and said, okay, cool. But like, here's how we do things. 
And at that point, you know, right when Disney bought them was right when Avengers came out. And that was at a point where you're like, okay, look, you clearly know what the fuck you're doing. So keep doing it. So Marvel has always sort of operated as this, we are a unit and we do our thing because they started off by saying, we're going to do this. Like we, we sold off characters and we don't want to do that anymore. We're going to do our own thing. So they've always kind of built into their corporate culture even when that corporate culture moved over to Disney, a we do things our way. We know Marvel, we're the Marvel way, and they've on Kevin Feige had sort of proved himself to Iger by the point that he did. So they kind of continue to do that. Mm. Um, and even with Disney Plus, like from what everyone says, Disney Plus executives don't really give notes to <laughs> Kevin Feige or Kathleen Kennedy. Like for better or for worse. Star Wars movies or Star Wars TV shows on Disney Plus are going to be what they're going to be. Yeah. And Marvel shows on Disney Plus are going to be what they're going to be. Warner Brothers and DC have never had that relationship. DC has always had to go to Warner Brothers executives. So whether it was, uh, you know, Berlanti doing superhero shows on the CW mm. or the, the, anim- the, the feature films, like there's always been like a, okay, well, here's what DC wants to do. Okay, well, now these executives are like, okay, but we don't want to do this. Here's this. So there's always been a lot of cooks in the kitchen and that hasn't really changed. I do think that from what I've heard from executives that I know, executives that we all know, Mm. um, Gunn and Saffron got to come in and tell other people, nope, you can't do this. We don't want this happening anymore. Mm. Don't, you can't use these characters. We're holding this for this. So I do think they've got a little bit more control but they're still dealing with the system as it's built. So they still have to respond to things and answer to things. Their, their answers could probably be more curt or no, thank you. We're mm-hmm. going to do it our way than, uh, than others previously, but they're still dealing with that whole system. Yeah. Shannon, your thoughts on this. Uh, are we going to do this all over again in two years? And uh, the, J- the James Gunn aspect of it all sharing a little bit of the power, even though he seems to be, he's, he's been highlighted as a point person, but maybe not so behind the scenes. I mean, Universal buying Warner Brothers, as, as if that were to happen, Warner Brothers as a brand doesn't necessarily go away. It's mm. it's kind of like how 20th Century Fox has become 20th Century Studios. Yeah. Um, right. That being said, I kind of don't want Warner Brothers to get sold. <laughs> I mean, I've worked on that lot so many times and there's just something just there's something about the history of Warner Brothers being there. And it's like, oh, man, that would really suck if if that happened um, as as to the. James Gunn and Peter Safran and their autonomy. Um, Warner Brothers, Zaslav, they want this to work. Mm. Like they want <laughs> James Gunn <laughs> and Peter Safran to be right about everything. I think that's the last thing. That's the last thing that they want is to have to wipe the board clean again. And even if uh, something were to happen to, to Gunn and Safran, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that plan goes out the window. That means they would put different people in, in charge of that plan. Right. Um, it is, it is in their company's best interest for this, for this new comic universe that they're building to do as well as it can. And if it comes from these two guys, uh, all, all the better, because yeah. I, I think they're very aware of the reputation <laughs> that they have at this moment. And they would like to change it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, anyway, yeah, like Mike said, uh, let's get this legacy here already and start this Gunniverse, for God's sake, so we can analyze it and put everything in a row. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. We're going to jump into some trailers here on the other side of this one uh, right after this. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. 
No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On May Day, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to May Day wherever you get your podcasts. Shannon McClellan, take it away. With trailers, 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 we're getting the second look at two projects and the first look at another project. But we're going to start with something that you're going to be able to watch at home on Apple with the second trailer for Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Again, I know we talked about this when the first trailer came out, but the whole idea of a Godzilla television show being done well visually seemed like uh, too too big a bite of the apple. And based off of what we have seen now with the second trailer, visually, it looks pretty good. Um, in terms of what the story is, I mean, again, it just seems like they're kind of building off of Godzilla 2, that this is a world now where monsters are part of our everyday lives. Um, I, again, visually, this thing just looks incredible. Uh, we get a shot of Godzilla coming out of a desert. We get have an incredible shot of a, the camera being coming up over Godzilla's tail, and you see just how massive this kaiju is. Mm. Um, you know, there are many shows that I've been looking forward to seeing on streaming, um, but but Monarch Legacy of Monsters is quickly climbing that chart right now. But gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. Johnny, why don't you take it away first? What'd you think of our second look well, at Monarch Legacy of Monsters? Listen, I grew up watching these monster movies, so I have a, such a love for these monster movies when they get it right. I liked Godzilla. Kong was fine. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong was a law of diminishing returns. And <laughs> the other one, I don't know, King of Monsters, whatever it was called, it, it was okay to watch, right? Well, the thing is that they tried to mix this idea of a really interesting conspiracy-based storyline with espionage and the stuff going on with the government involved in this program and the monsters. Well, I don't think the movies have really got it right. Watching the second, uh, sorry, watching the second trailer, but the first official trailer today, and I did a reaction to this, I was blown away by the fact that they have spent time on this to try to focus on making sure they solidify a little bit more of the mystery of Monarch and the story and these uh, these uh, documents that have been redacted and all of this. Having Kurt Russell come in is just perfect. That 80s kind of macho coming in that, that everybody loves and then having his son, of course, play him as a younger person. All of this to have a connective tissue through the decades, seeing John Goodman running from some kind of spider titan there, which is pretty cool, seeing the new titan pop out. So they clearly understand people are going to watch for the monsters, but we've got to get the story right. So having a series here and what looks to be a lot of money, money sunk into this series, I think they understand that there's real potential. And I'm so happy this is coming out on Apple because they have no problem spending money on these shows to make it look good. Whether the overall result is great or not is up for debate. But the look of them, yeah, like you can argue, and this looks fantastic. And hopefully this is a great way to get this kind of reset a little bit. And for those of us who are a little nervous about Matt Shackman doing Fantastic Four because Marvel is so sh- on shaky ground right now, this could reaffirm our faith in Matt Shackman doing Fantastic Four down the road. Mikey, what would you think? 
Oh, oh, oh here comes the bucket no. of cold water. Oh, no, no, no challenge again. Okay. No, no cold water. It's more like I agree with everything you both said, but as I watched the trailer, <laughs> I felt like somebody who's like their shitty ex-boyfriend showed up, but got in really good shape. <laughs> And like you're sitting at you're sitting at the bar and your your shitty ex-boyfriend, you're like, I fucking hate this guy. But then you're like, oh man, he got he got ripped. And then he comes up and starts talking to you and he's saying all the right things. And you're like, ah, I mean, yeah, he was, I mean, he had his moments. He had his moments. He was he was he was a good guy somehow, but he was but no, he was so dumb. He was so dumb every time. He was so you got excited and then nope, it was bad. But maybe this time he looks good. <laughs> that's that's my experience. Like, I agree with everything you guys said. It looks like they got it right. They're leaning into this world that's living with monsters. They're mm. trying to build out the monarch stuff, which was always kind of interesting, but always kind of fell flat. And yeah. you watch this trailer and you're like, man, Shackman did it, man. And it's Shackman. <laughs> You right? know, like, okay, yeah. like, I'm good. Like, we're going to see. But then I'm like, uh, <laughs> just feel like I'm being fooled. I think I'm being fooled here. Should I go to dinner with him? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. As Vogel is delivering this analogy, in my head, I'm like, I see, I see Vogel at a bar and I see Godzilla walk in. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there he is. Still but that's rocking. what it is. <laughs> Listen, I and it's like, look, I said when we did the first trailer reaction, like I I genuinely like I've I've every single one of these movies, Godzilla, Godzilla King of Monsters, mm. Kong, uh, and Godzilla versus Kong. I watch them and there's moments that I like giant kaiju i like king kong like i watch there's moments in these movies that you're like oh this maybe is not so bad and then you get to the end you're like no man come on this is the fuck especially godzilla versus kong you're just like the fuck did i just watch yeah and yet i haven't given up on it yet i'm still like yeah come on guys let's do it so we'll see i i am equally as excited as you guys are i actually am genuinely jazzed to check it out and see if they got it right but there's a part of me that's just like why do you keep letting yourself get fooled kong and the magic acts of lightning from the underworld yes (laughs) (laughs) so we know godzilla has gotten into he's gotten ripped he's gotten in great shape has he really changed his scales only one oh. way to find out on November 17th on Apple. So our next trailer, we get our second look at Wonka. So this this trailer came out. The, the movie was announced, and it was sort of like, do we need a young Willy Wonka movie? And then the trailer came out, and there was just something delightfully delightfully winter movie about it like it is it, it looks like it is a musical um there it is just filled with whimsy um the one thing about it was is timothy chalamet obviously timothy chalamet is not gene wilder um mm-hmm. but is, is timothy chalamet going to be able to deliver the magic 
of this character. Um, and the only thing we really saw Hugh Grant was that scene at the very end where we get to, we see his, his Oompa Loompa. Yeah. Well, this trailer really goes all in on Hugh Grant as Lofty the Oompa Loompa. Some really really funny moments it's interesting that it seemed like they actually pulled back on timothy chalamet ever so slightly and really focused on on hugh grant yeah. um i think this one still looks pretty interesting but i'll throw it over to you guys vogel what'd you think of our second look at wonka i mean look it comes out on my birthday and i'm excited um i love willy wonka as a concept i don't know that anything past the gene wilder movie has ever really uh Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is a lot like with the original Wizard of Oz. We mm. live in an era where you can do all the special effects in the world that they couldn't do back then. And you go back and you watch the original Wizard of Oz and it's, you know, very of its time. And you watch the original Willy Wonka and those effects don't hold up today. And there's still something magical about it. And every time they've ever tried to come back to it, you're like, yeah, you, you, you had better special effects, but you didn't hit the magic. These trailers look like it hits the magic. Um, the Paddington movies are mm. one of the two of the more whimsical movies that have come out in the past two couple decades. Like they definitely have the right feeling and emotion and vibe. So I'm going, and I love a musical. So I'm going <laughs> in, uh, it's, I'm going in very excited. I, I think my expectations are high. I hope they're not too high, but my expectations are high. And so everything that I've seen so far leads me to this is definitely a Vogel movie. Hmm. Johnny, do you still feel like you want a Wonka bar? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I was really, I really liked this second trailer. Uh, we got, we didn't get any new songs, but certainly we got a lot of um, staging for the choreography of the dancing that's going to go on in these songs. So I like that, but I really like the scope of the trailer. I mean, we're going to some phantom castle out in the middle of nowhere where chocolate apparently falls through the concrete windows and what have you. And there's a massive chocolate fountain. We have this uh, very funny, inter well, not funny. I wouldn't say funny, but this uh, attempt at a humorous interaction about somebody who throws up when they hear the word poor, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we get Rowan Atkinson, who's always a welcome delight in any British film or British uh, approach to film. Um, and there's just an, a lightness to this and a magic to this. And I saw some people go like, where's the weirdness? And I'm like, hey, I don't think this is going to have the weirdness to it until maybe the end. But I mean, he's sitting here talking to an Oompa Loompa and it's a, it's a fun interaction. And I like that they made him an older energy. Like it's, it's, it's a Hugh Grant essentially guiding Wonka through this process. So it's not Oompa Loompa working for Wonka. It's an Oompa Loompa who is essentially a, a, um, a counsel for him as he's doing the things that he's doing an older energy here who's going to school him but also does his own thing like that whole that putting the, the the sleep mask on and off there having the conversation with him which i think is hilarious so there was a lot to this that i found super interesting what is the young girl's role in all of this because she's clearly connected connected to olivia coleman but what is her connection to helping wonka and all of this so to me there's a lot here that i think is going to work and I've really got to watch these Paddington movies because it's clear that there's a lot of magic in what this guy creates and what this guy does. So that came through when I was watching the second trailer even more so. You know? Well, but well, why does Key and Michael Key have a New York accent in Europe? I, I would like that clarification at some point. But anyway, people, yeah. people move. People move. Yeah, I guess they do. I guess they do. <laughs> 
You used to live in Virginia. That's true. <laughs> accident. Well, okay. right. <laughs> well, Wonka comes out on Vogel's 25th birthday Ooh. on December 15th. Oh, we're still celebrating that one, are we? Okay. <laughs> and that brings us to our last trailer. I know one that John is very excited to talk about oh, called God. The Iron Claw. So for those of our audience members that don't know a ton about wrestling, Way before the days of the WWE and before that it was the WWF, wrestling was kind of divided uh, regionally in the country. And this movie is about the Von Erichs. So the this is a, a wrestling family. The patriarch was a guy named Fritz Von Erich. He had five sons, I think, yes. four uh, or five yeah. sons? Six, six. Yeah. Six sons. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a lot of them kind of tragically, tragically passed. Mm -hmm. And uh, Zach Efron is playing Kevin Von Erich. Um, we also have, oh my gosh, from the bear, Jeremy, Jeremy Allen, Allen White. Jeremy White. Allen White as Carrie Von Erich. Um, this one looks like, I, I don't know who this story is for, but I do think it looks really, really good. Um, but I'll throw it over to Johnny first. What did you think of our first look at the Iron Claw? I, no one was more surprised to me that this worked. Like, it really worked. And I'm hearing, I'm seeing people online going like, this could be an Oscar contender. I'm shocked by that kind of reaction to it. Because I wasn't the biggest fan of Zac Efron with his Ted Bundy film. I didn't think the film was that great. And I thought he was okay, but not great. I thought he was on the precipice of being a good dramatic actor. Kind of like I felt when I saw Cruz in uh, Born on the Fourth of July or DiCaprio in The Aviator. Close, but not quite there. Seeing him here, it is here. And it is there now to see in what he's doing. Yes, he got super ripped and all of that. And Jeremy Allen White has said in numerous interviews, like, Zach had this shit down. I was struggling. Zach had this shit down. Understood how to do it. But there's a lot of tragedy in this story. There's a lot to do with mental health, with addiction, uh, with, as you saw in the trailer, uh, an overbearing father, which is a staple of pro wrestling. And getting the great Holt McElhaney to play this character is genius. Just genius because of what he does in Mindhunter. And that uh, FX show that I can't remember the name of that he did it was so. It was good. like lights, lights out. I yeah, think. lights out. Right, right. Yeah. What's his, uh, what's his face's brother there? And and having um and having more tyranny in here is a nice energy as well as a balance. But you can tell from the trailer this is going to have a lot of depth to it, a lot of pain, a lot of emotion to it. And yes, it's about pro wrestling in Texas in the 1970s. You see the free fabulous Freebirds are one of my favorite factions. You see Ric Flair. So you for wrestling fans, you're going to get that. But it also, for people who are not wrestling fans, you're going to get a human story of tragedy and triumph and success and uh, um, uh, lessons here and all of that that a lot of people are going to connect to and relate to. So really surprised. Plus, this guy directed uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene, which blew up Elizabeth Olsen. So to me, this looks like so much better than it, it had any right to be. And I can't wait to see it. Mikey, you ready to throw on your singlet for the Iron Claw? <laughs> <laughs> It looks, I mean, it looks legitimately like a great movie. I, mm. I have a hard time getting past, like, just looking at Zac Efron. <laughs> Hello. Like, no, not. Oh, no, not no. in a good way. No, no, not in a good oh, way. He's not, not Godzilla in, in the bar is what you're saying. He, he's not. <laughs> well, if you put a picture of Zac Efron from High School Musical, if you put a picture of Troy next to a picture of this, it's literally like Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Like, it is just, like, <laughs> such an extreme transformation and, yeah. and not necessarily in like like it's impressive 
Mm. And, and like clearly for the role, it's perfect. And like and look, I think Zac Efron really has turned into a really solid actor. Like I think <laughs> it looked like this trailer like looks like he's holding his own. Everything that you said, like he looks like he's holding his own. Like this looks like an actor's movie. Like they look yeah. like they are going for <laughs> it. It looks good. It's just I'm just like. This is like like going from like high school musical to I'm super hot Zach Efron like Baywatch era to like I am this I'm 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 like ugh, it, it's just a lot it's just a lot to take in for me. What, what about Jeremy Allen White? Did he look like too much? No, okay. looks great. All right, all right, looks great. Looks look that look lovely. That you can come into the bar with me and Godzilla. We'll all hang out together. It'll be great. Um, but no, I mean that's like that. That is just, it. It's just it. It's just one of those things. Like like seeing Zach Efron in this trailer was kind of shocking. That everything else you said Michael, is really great. What are you doing later, Michael? I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't like Zach Zach Efron in about ten years. It's it's not going to be pretty. Oh wow! Listen to you. Okay. I don't think it's going to be pretty. Oof. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I this is just, I this is a total divergence from the trailer itself. I just had this was my reaction watching it. Wow. I was like, ooh. Um, no, it looks really like it absolutely. You wouldn't think that a wrestling movie, like a movie about the history of wrestling, would mm. be like an Oscar contender, as you said. But then you watch the trailer and you're like, no, this feels like the type of movie that like come Oscar season people will be talking about. So I do think it looks really, really good. I and t- to your point, it's taking that world of wrestling that wrestling fans know so well. And it is telling a very, very human story. Um, and, and look, and it looks like a really emotional story. I just find the, the, the Efron part distracting. (laughs) It's like the wrestler, right? The wrestlers had that kind of, has that kind of vibe and connection to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think what's so interesting about it with this one is when you think of the wrestlers who are, who are in pop culture, when you think of like Hulk Hogan, you think of Randy Savage, you think of Ric Flair, the Von Erichs, they never really, they they never really made that made no. that leap. I well, mean, only one of them ever went to the WWF. It was yes. it, yeah, it was Kerry Von Erich, Kerry, like yeah. in in the nineties. He's the only one that that made that leap. So it's a it, again having known a little bit about the story, like it is a really really tragic story. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's interesting that someone someone wanted to tell this story. Like I think it's really really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the Iron Claw comes out December twenty second. Yeah. There we go. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll jump into some more here right after this. Nice preface. Good call. Uh, Mikey, take it away, my man. All right. Well, uh, if you are a Star Trek fan, um, you might still not have checked out Star Trek Prodigy because a lot of people didn't when it was on Paramount+. Plus. But the people that did watch Star Trek Prodigy really liked it a lot. So when Paramount Plus decided to go ahead and uh, scrap the plans for a season two of Star Trek uh, Prodigy and decided to get rid of Star Trek Prodigy on their streaming service, people were not so thrilled. And as fans are wont to do, there were petitions and there were letter writing campaigns and there was a whole bunch of hashtag save Star Trek Prodigy. And as someone who really genuinely enjoyed Star Trek Prodigy and thought it was a really, really good, uh, solid Star Trek show that had its own vibe. I was bummed and I was also kind of sad because I didn't think any of the fan uproar was gonna amount to much. And I am happy to say that I was wrong. Um, Star Trek Prodigy is going to be returning and it is going to be returning to Netflix. 
the global streamer has picked up the animated series and the first season that aired on Paramount Plus will be available uh, early next year. And then they are going into production on the second season, which will also be coming to Netflix. And so this is a huge win for Star Trek fans in general. And it's another chapter of all of the uh, epic streaming battles that are happening as things are hopping from streamer to streamer. But uh, Alex Kurtzman and the showrunners, Dan and Kevin Hagman, said on Twitter, they said, thank you to our incredible Star Trek prodigy fans who champion not just a show, but a community that's always been connected by the belief that we build a better future together. We set out to inspire you, but you inspired us. The team is still hard at work on the second season, and we can't wait to share it with the amazing fans around the world. So... Awesome news all around for animation, yeah. for Star Trek in general. Gentlemen, I am pretty sure that I'm safe in assuming that neither of you have checked out Star Trek Prodigy. <laughs> Will you be checking it out when it comes to Netflix? Uh, yeah, Mike, uh, go ahead, Shannon. Yeah. Uh, Netflix is a streamer. I go to way more than Paramount Plus, so that is it is certainly it is certainly possible. Uh, an old coworker of mine is actually the voice of the ship. So I, oh, Bonnie cool. Gordon. So I feel bad that I actually actually haven't haven't tuned in yet. But in terms, it's really interesting because uh, everyone that I know that has seen it sings its praises. They they say it's it's really really well done, and it surprises me as Paramount is the home of everything Star Trek. Like, why would you let this one go? But Netflix, way back when, before they got fully into the original programming game, you know, things found a second life on mm. Netflix. Like. Specifically thinking about Young Justice, that how many people saw Young Justice and it actually spurred it to then continue on HBO Max. So sure did. The, the idea that that uh, that Netflix is, is picking this show up, not just the season that already aired, but they're going to do the second season as well. I, I think that's awesome. And I think that's great. I think that's great for the fan base. Yeah, I love it as an uh, as an idea, because I love that Netflix is picking this stuff up. I mean, a lot of Max shows. Have now started popping up on Netflix. Uh, you know, I, I canceled my my Max. I still have not uh, re-upped it. Uh, so whatever I'm going to watch on Max is popping up there on Netflix, which is great. Very convenient. I mean, Suits was reborn on that sh- on that on Netflix. Now Ballers is apparently getting a second life on Netflix. So why not something like Prodigy? And this is so easy. You can put that on. The kids can watch. It's good for it's it's a smart move overall because almost everybody who has streaming has netflix as their first streamer and then everything after that so it makes sense and i think i will check it out it'll certainly make it a lot easier to check it out as you said shannon paramount plus is not the first place i run to unless it's amazing race or uh, uh picard i rarely put on uh, uh paramount plus but i have it i just rarely put on because it's mostly for the champions league for soccer i watch liverpool there but like the other stuff yeah netflix i tune on all the time i'm always flipping what's new What's new? It's Wednesday. What's new? It's Friday. What's new? You know, I'm always on there. So it makes sense. And it's probably a quick watch prodigy. And so it would make it makes all the sense in the world to put it on Netflix, which already has a strong burgeoning animation situation going on uh, there right now. It will be interesting because I, I have a feeling that I think what you guys are saying is correct. And I have a feeling that um prodigy will do really well on netflix Mm. i think they're going to get a lot of views when they put the first season up there and then i think when the second season comes out they're going to get a lot of views and that begs the question (laughs) what's wrong with paramount plus like i mean this is this is the kind of the netflix you're right suits just did like netflix has this thing and and i don't know if it's like people's 
perception of Netflix, like you're saying, but that like Netflix somehow has this ability to take a show that didn't do it somewhere else. Right. And all of a sudden it becomes the thing that everyone's talking about. And if that happens with Star Trek Prodigy, and if it goes really, really well, and Netflix says, fuck, this is doing great. We'll do another season. Let's do season three. Yeah. Then what, like Star Trek, Paramount Plus is supposed to be the home for all things Star Trek and people yeah, are going point. there. But I've talked to people at Paramount Plus and I've talked to people at Nickelodeon and they're like, look, this was supposed to be the show that got kids into Star Trek and kids don't watch Star Trek Prodigy. 40 year old men watch, Pro watch Star Trek Prodigy. <laughs> like it didn't, it didn't do what it, we wanted it to do. But then if Netflix comes along and it becomes like a really cool thing, then like there's a, there's something that's just not working in the world of these other companies kind of trying to extend their brands. Mm. And so that's an interesting conundrum that everyone in those boardrooms that we're always talking about will be talking about netflix is coke netflix is mcdonald's oh, i mean God. you know they were they were they were the first ones mm. and even though like you have seen some other streamers with some really really good programming netflix is still the one that people are always as of right now at least they're always going to go to first yeah yeah this is why sarandos was the first person to come out against these last, uh, what they describe, last-second proposals from SAG-AFTRA to say, you're not levying my subscribers. That's money out of my pocket. I mean, he knows. They finally found a way to kind of crack Ted a little bit because he knows how important they are, as you said, Shannon, as the first uh, streamer people turn to. It is Netflix. It was the first one. And so to try to take something from them, the, uh, the uh, SAG-AFTRA, they knew what they were going for in that moment, which is why Teddy, Teddy reacted that way. But yeah. I agree. So, you know, we'll see down the road. I think it's great, though. Uh, it's fantastic to put it this way and, and have it accessible and understand there's an audience for it, you know, because I don't know how many kids were writing letters to make this thing happen. So it was the 40 year old men who did it. So thank God. Um, thank God. <laughs> I saw 40 year old men. <laughs> Are they brodigies? What would they be instead of bronies? What would they bro? What would they? I don't Probably know. Probably Trekkies. Oh, right. Okay. Broke, broke. I, I thought that was derogatory. I thought they like Trekkers. It's, you know, it depends on who you ask. It was, it's kind of okay. like GIF and JIF. Like, yeah. I don't care what they want. They're Trekkies. <laughs> <laughs> one is right and one is JIF. Exactly. <laughs> GIF, but all right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's take one last break. And we'll jump into our main talk here, talking about Marvel TV and all the massive changes that apparently are coming down the road right after this. I love it. All right, let's talk about this article. This was in the Hollywood Reporter from Boris Kidd, a great scooper and journalist here. And he uh, wrote a really lengthy article about what is going to happen with Marvel TV. And he led off with the fact that Daredevil Born Again has hit the reset button. Thanks to the writer's strike, Kevin Feige was able to watch some of the dailies and some of the scenes, and he realized that this show was not working. So they let go of the head writers, Chris Ord and Matt Corman. They released all the directors for the remainder of the season and essentially did a creative reboot of Daredevil Born Again because stories that were popping up here said that neither Foggy nor Karen was even mentioned in Daredevil Born Again and that he didn't even put on his Daredevil costume till the fourth episode of the series and it was going to be kind of like a comical lawyer series is what they were going to maybe they're going to do suits with with daredevil though that they were going to approach it as and so this is what made feige just stop and the article goes on further to say that they are now reevaluating how they do all marvel tv as a result of this situation 
and the Secret Invasion situation. There was details on how the, all the drama behind Secret Invasion, all the drama behind um, Moon Knight, and all the drama behind a couple other series that were going on here, and how the, just She-Hulk being another one with Jessica Gow, how all this went down, and that they are now understanding that they cannot have executives who are both film and TV executives. They're going to focus on getting TV executives, and they're going to work on show bibles, pilots, multi-season shows, not limited series shows, and approach this thing uh, like uh, most uh, studios do that make TV with a showrunner, with one person in charge of this whole thing, and completely change their game plan. You know, a few years ago when they announced all their shows, they were groundbreaking. Nobody's a showrunner. They're a head writer, and the director is the person in charge of everything. And clearly they see that they have maybe made a mistake here and course corrected. So, gentlemen, your thoughts on all of this uh, as it pertains to Marvel TV and uh, where we go from here? I mean, it's pretty wild that, like, I'm curious how far they actually got into production. Because I feel like they were shooting at least a couple of months. They said half the shows. They said they were the half of the season. That's bad. that and like their episode order was supposed to be something like 18 episodes yes. or, or, you know, yes. the fact that you got nine episodes <laughs> in the can, um, you know, part of it is like you look at what and we never got the whole story, but like what happened with Rogue One that they right, with Gilroy, you, they yeah. they saw what they saw what they had decided that it wasn't working and then brought in another writer to oversee another writer and another director to oversee the 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 reshoots and what they ended up getting was arguably the best star wars film that they got out of the disney era star wars films so the fact that feige was able to look at what they had and as opposed to doing what marvel has done in the past which is like let's do reshoots let's do reshoots let's do reshoots to be like from the ground up like we're gonna Let's just rip it all down yeah. and let's let's start again. I mean, heartbreaking for the people that worked on the show that were then dismissed. That's true. Because I imagine they were all very, very excited to do to, to do the MCU version of Daredevil. But from a company standpoint, I think again, they, they know what their reputation is right now. Hmm. And having the guts to kind of do that, I mean, it's really it's pretty impressive. The idea that he wasn't showing up until the fourth episode, like that's when, again, like we had talked about how originally when these were announced that they weren't, they, they were limited series. They were, you know, they were long, they were really long movies. Um, the fact that he wouldn't show up until episode four, that you. As Daredevil. As Daredevil. As, as Daredevil, right. In, in the suit. Um, that's, that's pretty, that, that's unusual. Like you would think you would want him in the suit ASAP. Right. It, you know, you obviously want it to be organic and you want it to work for the story. But you when you're writing Daredevil, like, yes, you are absolutely doing the legal side because that is what makes Daredevil a really interesting character is that he's a lawyer by day and a vigilante by night. Um, the fact that you don't get the vigilante until, you know, almost four hours in, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty unprecedented. So it's again, just it's really, really shocking um, that this far in that they're kind of like, you know what this, the concept for this doesn't work. And also where this fits in the larger phase fives, phase six mm. picture. Cause you have to think that daredevil is, is going to play a role in, in what's coming, but the version of daredevil that was pitched is probably the one they were thinking of. So how does this affect all that? And 
you know, the the thing with television is the showrunner who is generally generally, you know, your 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 main writer, your executive producer, like the right. showrunner a lot of times is your creator, not all the time. Um but your showrunner it, it kind of makes me think of The Office when Jim was co-manager with Michael Scott and had, <laughs> you had two people in charge. Like having a head writer and having a director and they're both equal, that seems like that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> because at the end of the day, you have to have one kind of one person making that decision. And that is what the showrunner does in television. Now, can the showrunner be overruled at times by the network? Absolutely. But in general, they hire that person because they trust that person's decisions. They, they're, they're trusting that person's visions. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, again, really, really shocking that they got this far down the road and they're starting over. But also, maybe this is going to turn it into the Daredevil show that everyone wants. Yeah. Michael, your thoughts on this extensive article on what's going on behind the scenes and the changes for Marvel TV? It was really interesting. I mean, look, it's absolutely a bummer that Daredevil is going to take longer to get to the screen. But I agree with Shannon that it's probably a good idea. I'd rather they said, hey, this was not great. Let's uh, fix it as, uh, rather than, well, let's put a big bit. Secret Invasion is what look, what a giant Band-Aid looks like. Oof. And I think we can all agree we don't want more of that. Um, <laughs> it, it's an interesting thing because, look, Shannon's right that having two people that are at equal levels uh, kind of duking it out isn't necessarily great. You need sort of a captain of the ship. Mm. But a director is that in movies. Right. And I think, that, like, right. and, and so I think the real question is, well, so what's the difference? So you had a bunch of feature executives come over to TV and say, well, we're going to take all of our feature characters and our feature special effects and our feature storylines, and we're going to do it on TV. So them going, look, our way of doing things is we have a person who writes it or several people that write it and then mm -hmm. we hand it over to kugler or taika or gun or da costa or whoever and say you're the boss hey let's do that on tv like it makes sense that that would be there we want this to look like a movie on screen mm -hmm. so that's what we're gonna do and at the beginning, you know, they, they had a few wins, like with WandaVision and with Loki. And you're like, okay, like this system seems like it's working. The more they did it and the more that they had, and probably the more that Kevin Feige couldn't focus on everything at once because he was doing 95 things, the more the cracks in this began to show. And I think, there, so the reason that, one of the reasons that I think TV tends to be more of a writer's medium. You know, in film, you have a Scorsese film, a Spielberg film, oh, yeah. whatever. But in TV, you've got a Shonda Rhyme series, a Ryan Murphy series. It's the writer that kind of is the, it's their, it's their show. And I think one of the things is, what a director does on the feature side is they take the story, they take everything, and they're like, this is my 90 minute, two hour, two and a half hour, three hour, thing and they're containing all of that and they're like this is everything it needs to be a story is a long story a, a tv show is a story that goes from week to week to week and takes twists and turns and one week it might have this vibe and then one week it might have this vibe and there's different you know one week it's going to be all action and one week it's going to be very comedic and one it's like there's it, it goes and does different things and a writer is the person that's keeping all track of that. Like is going, okay, this is where this character is going. And then the character goes here in episode three and then here in episode four. And they're not as worried about how it's going to look. They're worried about like, well, what's the character thing that we're telling? And like, we're, I think arguably where 
look, Marvel, we can argue about special effects all we want and special mm -hmm. effects in TV, but Marvel shows generally look pretty good. The thing that's been falling apart is where is this story going? Yeah. Where, what's the pacing with this? Why is this episode, all, this is all that happens and then everything gets rushed in the last minute. And that's all writer and character stuff. Like, and that's, that's where having someone who is more adept at going, okay, yeah, we're telling this big story in six episodes, but what's each week's episode? Right. How are we telling this story? Where is the character here? And how do they get here? Like those are all writer, more, more writer centric questions. And so I think you follow a character through a story. Yeah. And it makes sense that it's a writer who does it. I think Marvel took a long time to get there. I think it's a, there's a little bit of hubris in this. It's a little bit of like, hey, oh, guys, yeah. I'm really proud that you figured out after several years that you should do TV the way everybody else does TV. We already figured this out. Why are you trying to like, make it difficult? <laughs> it's been figured out. People have been doing it for quite some time, but good. You got there. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, Michael and Shannon, it does not necessarily mean that, that these shows are somehow going to leap in quality. It, they still may not be good. We've seen many showrunners make bad shows. It happens. So this is oh, no yeah. guarantee that it's going to be better going this route. But the odds that it will be better now increase. My question, though, is how the fuck did it take you nine episodes to realize this wasn't the show you wanted. You greenlit well, it. And, and at some point you have to ask, is Feige really stretched way too goddamn thin? If people want to blame Iger or Chapek, I don't give a fuck about blaming any of those guys. Feige is the point person here. Feige is the one who brags about, I've got a 10-year plan. I got I to gotta rush back to my whiteboard in my room of people who are putting this all together. It's Feige who has to take the hits on this. It's Feige who has to kind of take responsibility for how this all went down. Wasting time blaming Iger or Chapek is, makes no sense to me. It is Feige who greenlit this shit. How do you get nine episodes in and go, you know what? This isn't really working. The plot of not having him put on the thing. Did you not read the scripts? Did you not know what was coming? Uh, and the secret invasion stuff and the She-Hulk <laughs> stuff, all that stuff that's profiled. You're just like, what's going on well, here? Did he just did he delegate, but delegate to the wrong people? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it sounds like a couple of different things. Like, with She-Hulk, what I find interesting is that uh, they brought Jessica, Jessica Gao back in. They did because Kat Cuero was not like, making it work. Yeah, they well, or just was having the, like like I mean, I think Kat Cuero did a really Fair enough. did a good job in what like I don't know what Kat Cuero wasn't doing, but clearly they were like, let's bring the writer who pitched us this vision of She-Hulk right. back in to make sure we're kind of getting some of this stuff right. And I think that was a smart move. Yes. Um, and I think that with Secret Invasion it sounds like that was just a battlefield. Like it just sounds like yeah. it, that was a kind that was like sh what Shannon was talking about is here's a bunch of people that clearly do not get along yeah. and are not liking each other. And the show is suffering for it. It's the same thing that happened on Ted Lasso season three. Like when you yeah. have a bunch of people True. sort of like we're battling it out and we think the show is this, well, we think the show is this. And that's what we got with secret invasion. Now with daredevil, what probably, I probably, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the fuck happened, but to your point, <laughs> a thing that could be is, hey, we want to do a show that really focuses on Matt Murdock as a lawyer in a superhero universe. We think there's something really interesting about that. Obviously, there's this Daredevil action and stuff, but mm. I feel like the Netflix series leaned so much on the Daredevil side and the lawyer stuff was just this, so we really want to go big in the lawyer thing. Oh, that sounds great. 
yeah, and then we're going to do this whole thing where, like, Kingpin, like, I don't know, if, you know, like, what, 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 maybe they're doing the Daredevil gets outed story or whatever, but there was probably mm-hmm. some reason that they were like, we're going to focus on this at the beginning and then get there that sounded good on paper. Like, in the meeting, you were like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, we haven't really seen that before. And I think, look, we've got all, we've got 18 episodes. We can really take our time with it. And it's not until, and you read the scripts and you're like, okay, like this seems like it's working. And then you get to a certain point and you're like, wait, we don't see him till the fourth episode in the costume. I didn't even think about this until I was actually looking at the dailies and you're like, fuck, what, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like it sometimes in 2020, you hear these articles and you're like, how the fuck did they not know? But it's always like little bits where you're like, no, this seemed like a good idea. And then you sort of do this thing where you're like, hey, um, so we're really not going to see him in the costume in this episode? No, 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 because we're going to save it for this. And then when we get here, it's going to be all this and it's going to be this big reveal and it's going to be. Oh, OK, that sounds that sounded like a good answer. All right. And then you get to a certain point, you're like, nah, man. We made the wrong call. Nah, we, did not, we did not call that right. It's no, 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 no. Trust us. And because because yeah. of the strike, Feige had time to then go and look at everything. It's yeah. like, okay, what you, you're you not delivering on what was promised. That being yeah, said, I do think you're probably right that Feige is stretched too thin. Yes. Oh, I, yeah. I, yeah, right? That's, That's what it feels like. Yeah. Because you think about everything that was shooting at the same time. Like, when, when they were shooting two movies at the same time, like, that was a big deal. Like, holy crap, you're doing how, you're, how – he's going back and forth. That's wild. Think about how many things are filming, how many things are being written, and he's also dealing with post-Phase 6. I mean, yeah. they are 100% having conversations about what happens after Secret Wars. So when you look at the amount of projects that he is – directly involved with like you can't you know you 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 can't be everywhere at once right i think with secret invasion they were willing to take they thought that maybe it would work out all the drama because i mean you read the drama in the article it is a lot like you know all the different people moving in and out hiring new line producers people threatening to quit it was a whole bunch of shit it's a miracle you got six episodes out of that damn series um, well, you, so, some would argue you didn't. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not a good end result. But I think that one, you could get away with that one. Because, you know, it, yeah, it's Fury, but it's the Scrolls. Do people know a lot about this guy? We're introducing new characters. Okay, fine. Echo is still coming out in January, by the way. They're all dropping at the same time, those episodes. So we'll see what that yields. But I think Feige looked and he knew Daredevil Born Again, we cannot fuck this up. Like, yeah. now we have no... There's no, like, leeway, no extra room for us to take a hit on a show and see if it works. Kind of groundbreaking. Could be a procedural that eventually he becomes the, you know, the superhero down the road. Okay, cool. Well, we don't have that. We haven't earned that right anymore. It's gone. So we got to make this adjustment. So I, I, I think it's good as well that they make adjustment. And too many studios just kind of power through it. Uh, and it ends up being ridiculous and not good. And so I like that they're... Uh, doing that but i don't like that they're still going to keep some scenes and some stuff like it's just like solo or i guess it did work out in rogue one but it's just like solo and and uh, justice league like no just fucking start over again man. well yeah well i mean to be fair we don't know like they might be like look the store like like whatever the legal story is Mm. and it's like matt murdoch going up against wilson fisk and saying now that fisk is back i need to do this and they watch the legal scenes and they're like 
yeah, that's all great. Yeah. But we need Foggy and we need Karen and he's got to go run around in a fucking uh, superhero costume. So, you know, like, so you, it's hard to say until you know, like, there might be good stuff in there. Like, I don't think that we should assume that just because but won't the, won't nobody the, was happy with the full result didn't mean parts of it weren't working. But won't the vibe and the atmosphere, like, not necessarily work? Because, you know, a showrunner comes in and wants the certain style, a certain feel that permeates through every scene in the show, will he will he or she come in and or they come in and be like, you know, no, this this is doesn't work. And you're making us put these scenes in and they're gonna stick out well, like sore thumbs. It's more it's more like Marvel brings in a bunch of new showrunners and shows them what they've got and said, We like this. Can you <laughs> work like work? Yeah. yeah, like that's like it's not like they're like 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 hey we're already pretty far down the road. We filmed all this. We like this. We don't like this. Can you do more of this, but also make it work and be better? And they go, yeah, I fucking want to work at Marvel. I'll do it. Yeah, sure. Like, give it to me. Like, sure. Yes, I can do that. Oh, it seems like asking for trouble, too. I think one of the damning things in the article, too, was that a, a director who didn't, an anonymous director didn't want to say anything, that didn't want to be named, said that it made it seem as if the directors weren't didn't even matter. So, even going that approach where the directors were the number one person, they still, some of the directors felt possibly that they didn't even matter in the process, even though the process was tailor-made for the directors to matter in the process, which is really an interesting uh, thing to hear from one of the directors uh, involved in this. So, yeah. All right. Well, at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. We're going to have a whole bunch of new Marvel TV coming. Do you guys like the fact that they are not going to do limited series? They're going to keep it serialized or do you think that's dangerous i think that right now and we have our review up uh this weekend uh as well for loki season two look loki's the first marvel show that has a season two right what if we'll have a season two but that's kind of its own animal but loki is a show that like is taking place within the bigger marvel cinematic universe it has a second season these characters are continuing and if you listen to our review this week we're really enjoying where these characters are going and we're enjoying that like other characters that didn't have as much of a chance to shine in six episodes of season one are getting more screen time so all the stuff that's supposed to happen in Mm -hmm. a series that's ongoing is happening correctly oh oh hold on my headphone popped out because i was so upset um And I think that's what we want to see more of. Like, I want to see more of Wanda and Vision and Agatha and, you know, like there's these characters that I want to see more. And so this idea that like these characters from the movies were all making little pit stops to do the in-between stories before they went to their next movie, not really the vibe. Um, And so I think the idea that the ones that worked, Miss Marvel, uh, if She-Hulk, which I liked, I know not everybody did, but like. I would be excited for a second season of Miss Marvel. I'd be excited for a second season of She-Hulk. Like I would like to see those characters continue because I thought mm. those shows kind of worked as TV shows. In in the case of Miss Marvel, the superhero stuff worked less good, but the family stuff was a great setup yeah. for a series. So you know, I think that it's a smart idea to keep going with it. We'll see what we'll see what they do. Okay, Shannon, any final words? I mean, I think both can work. I think when you're when you're telling this one giant story, oh, am I am I echoing there? Um, when you're telling this one giant story, I think I think there's room for both. There's room for continuing continuing adventures on television for this character and this other character. Yeah, maybe you just need. I don't think we need Falcon and Winter Soldier season two, but I think what we got 
for the most part was 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 okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think i think both can exist but if they are trying to fully lean into television then yeah the limited series maybe maybe going the way of uh terrence howard i i also think like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater though like mm. i don't I, like you can have a limited series limited series have existed forever that's why we have a word for it it's limited series like i think that there are certain characters that can primarily exist in tv series that are ongoing and mm. pop up occasionally in a move like 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 she hulk could continue into like a season two of a comedic legal drama in the marvel cinematic universe a season three of that have some cameos and then she shows up in secret wars and she joins the avengers great you can also do um a limited a, a doctor strange limited series Ooh. where benedict cumberbatch comes in and it's six episodes and it's one and done but it's telling this story that's really important and that's it and we're not doing you know like and it yeah. would make sense that some of these big stars would come in for a limited series and other people would just be consistently on tv all the time in multiple seasons and you could do both yeah I like that idea. It's possibilities. All right, well, there you go. Uh, we'll see what happens. As we said, as Marvel TV goes along, we'll keep tabs on it and see what the end result's going to be. And if it kind of helps elevate what's going on in Marvel right now, we shall see. But uh, that's the end of our show. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies, on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung, on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at The Roca Says. Mike? Um, listen, if you like multiple seasons of shows, limited series, animated shows on Paramount+, Plus, animated shows on Netflix... Godzilla movies, dating Godzilla, like any of it, it's all here on the Geek Buddies. So here's what you guys can do for us. Smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below. What do you think of everything going on in the world of geeky entertainment? Because it's a lot. Let us know below. If you're listening to us on a podcast, leave us some comments and stars so we go up in the rankings and more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! <gasps> hey! Hey! Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.